Thank you all very much. Appreciate you all so much. I also want to say uh, we haven't heard from her in a long time. Uh, Louie Gomar, our pianist, uh, who we've been missing. Uh, continue to pray for her. I've had folks ask how she's doing. I think she's recovering well from her surgery, but she recently had a, a fall uh, and, and she broke a couple vertebrae in her back. Uh, do what? One, one. So that's better than two. Uh, so she just broke one. Uh, didn't, didn't interfere with her surgery any uh, that she recently had. And so she's just dealing with some pain from that. And that's probably going to keep her from coming back uh, when she wants to. She would have preferred to already be here. So, But just remember her. Pray for her. Give her a phone call. Send her a card. Make a visit if you think about it. Uh, just let her know that, that we hadn't forgot about her. So uh, This morning, I'm going to jump right in. If you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We've been going through this series uh, about about being a neighbor, according to, to Scripture. And we began looking at uh, some Old Testament laws regarding being a neighbor. And then we, we kind of jumped to look at how Jesus appropriated those laws and really set them as being a way of life as opposed to being just something that you obey. We took a couple Sundays to do that. And so now we're coming, uh, the, the next few will just be about uh, how the rest of the New Testament uh, applies some of the things that, that Jesus says to specific situations. In Romans chapter 15, we're going to see how Paul gives some practical instructions uh, for, for Christian neighbors regarding encouraging one another, encouraging your neighbors and how that works out. And if you know the book of Romans, nothing is really done on your own strength. The way Paul frames it. And, and for us, in regards to being neighbors and what Jesus has said about that, that should be something that we breathe a sigh of relief about. To love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves uh, is a very difficult thing. So when you get to the book of Romans, uh, if you've ever gone through the Roman road as a kid, you know, you start in Romans 3 and it says, well, everybody sins. You really can't do anything that's pleasing to God, right? And then you jump to Romans 5 that says, you know, in spite of our sin, we know that God gave us Christ. He laid down his life for us and so that we could have eternal life. And, and really everything that Paul says in Romans is predicated on this idea that we have eternal life in Christ. And that, that doesn't just mean heaven, but we have this life that comes from Christ that influences everything that we do in our world. And so when we pick up here in Romans 15, that's going to kind of be the, the idea that Paul jumps into as he talks uh, to neighbors, how to be neighbors to one another. So I'm going to jump into the scripture right now, Romans chapter 15. It's just six verses, one through six. Paul says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, that begins really... Uh, Really pointed. We who are strong, that passage begins. That's a far cry from Romans 3 that says, hey, we've all sinned and we don't measure up. Now he's saying, we who are strong. Well, how do you get there? It's because of what I just said. You have this life 
It's in Christ. And apart from Christ, yes, we're nothing. But in Christ, Paul can say, we who are strong. We who are strong get the job of encouraging our neighbors. But no matter how much strength the Bible accords to me, I feel like uh, it's difficult to encourage others if I don't feel encouraged myself. Have you ever had a discouraging day? Here's a couple of scenarios. They didn't really happen to me, but, but you can imagine. Consider scenario one. You wake up late. Your coffee maker is broke. For some of you, that's enough. Like you're dialing it in after that. You wake up late. Your coffee maker's broke. Uh, you know, for some of us young kids, maybe your kids get in a fight on the way out the door. That never happens to any of us, right? They fight. They argue. You're just having to drag them. They don't want to get ready. You finally get out the door. You get the kids to where they need to be, and you finally think. Okay, I'm going to stop at Stripes. I'm going to get one of those big old cups of the boldest kind of coffee that they have. It's going to wake me up. It's, it's going to get better, right? So you get your coffee. And, and I can't walk in there without getting a breakfast taco because it smells so good. So, so I walk out of there with, with a cup of coffee and a breakfast taco. And I think, all right, things are going up from here. And I get in my car, take a big sip of my bold roast coffee, and it's ice cold. That's, that's enough, right? To just, just want to spit it out. Put your coffee in. I'll take a bite of my breakfast taco. And put cheese on it. Day's not getting any better. I finally get to work and, and my boss says, Hey, hey we're going to have this meeting. We didn't tell anyone about it. Surprise, surprise meeting. Uh, the very first part of the day, there's this meeting. You've got to make it. Everyone's got to go to it. How encouraging am I going to be in that meeting? How, how, how uplifting do you think I will be to be around during that meeting. Now consider scenario two. You wake up. Basically the opposite happens. Your kids get up on their own. They get dressed. They don't fight. You actually make it out the door early. Your coffee pot not only works. But you actually remember to set it the night before. And so you wake up to your favorite Starbucks roast that you set. I mean, things are going pretty good. You finally get to work. The kids are off where they're going. You get to work. The boss says, you know, I bought everybody donuts and kolaches today. So have, have some free breakfast. And Oh, and by the way, you know, we're, 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 things are going good. We're running ahead. And so everybody gets to, to take off an hour early today. You still get paid for it. How encouraging are you going to be on that day? You're going to be a little bit more of a joy to be around, aren't you? You're going to be more encouraging. If we define encouraging, or we, if we define encouragement... By being nice to people. That's what we think. When you think, oh, that person is so encouraging. We think, oh, well, they're nice. They remembered my birthday. They remembered that someone was sick and asked how they were doing. Right? That's, when we think of encouragement, that's what we think about. Those, those outward qualities. And, and for sure, to a degree, if someone is encouraging, they, you know, those are good things to do. To be nice. Remember someone's birthday. Tell them you, know, you missed them if you hadn't seen them in a while. But when Paul talks about encouraging your neighbor, he frames it in a way that involves, says it in verse 2, pleasing them for their good. I can look very different than just being nice to someone, can I? In fact, you can be nice to someone to their face and really not be doing them any good at all, can't you? In college, I, was in a, I participated in this student-led ministry for a while where we would travel to different churches and help youth groups out that were doing what we call Disciple Nouns. And we would be volunteer group leaders for those. And I remember going to this one church and, and the, one of the leaders in the church asked me if I knew this particular student that 
attended to be, they happened to be attending the same college I was attending, East Texas Baptist. And I said, yes, I, I know that student. I know, I know who he is. I don't know him well, but I know who he is. And, and I couldn't believe what came out of his mouth next. He, he said, well, this, this student has gone up in front of our church and, and told the church that he feels called to ministry. And I said, well, okay. And he said, well, the thing is, we don't think that he is. We don't think he's really called or gifted to be, to serve in, in ministry of any capacity. And I said, okay. And he said, you think you could maybe just steer him another direction for us? <laughs> what? <laughs> you mean you're telling me this guy's home church that he grew up at that knows him? Rather than, than, than doing something good and sharing a difficult truth with him is going to ask someone that really doesn't even know him that well. Being nice is not necessarily the same as being encouraging. Paul says that encouraging your neighbor entails a few things. And the first thing that he comes up, he says, encouraging your neighbor involves bearing with their weaknesses. We who are strong, he says in verse 1, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. And these words come at the very end of, of a whole chapter in Romans 14 where Paul's been talking about strong Christians and weak Christians. And if you remember that chapter, he's saying, you know, there's some Christians and, and they're going to celebrate this holiday. Or they're going to eat, they're not going to eat meat. And, and for them, that's really important. And, and those of you that don't have to do that and you have a, a stronger faith, well, you don't judge them for that. You accept them and the faith that they have is what he says in chapter 14. And so he gets, uh, that's, that's the context, and he gets to chapter 15 and what we read today. And he says, he says, we who are strong, he aligns himself with that group who are strong in their faith. Not to say, hey, I'm better than those folks. Not to, not to, to, to lift himself up, but to say, it is, 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 is someone that is not in that weak group. It is part of my responsibility to bear with those who are weak. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And, and when he uses the word ought in this place here, well, when we think of the word ought, we kind of think of it like parents say to your kids, well, you ought to eat your vegetables. Yeah. You know, meaning that you're really probably not because all, all kids want to eat are Happy Meal chicken nuggets, right? You really ought to do that, but we know you probably aren't. And that's not the, the way that Paul is using this word. He's using it in a way that means really you must do this. You have to do this. It's part of being someone that is a Christian and has, has really a strong faith. It's what you do. He's not recommending it. He's giving them a command. And he says, you must bear, bear with the weak. And you've heard Paul talk about bearing with one another before. In the book of Galatians, he, he tells believers, bear one another's burdens and you fulfill the law of Christ. And it's the same idea that you, you bear this weakness because in the same way that Christ really died on behalf of all of us who are weaker than him, we're mirroring that same idea of, of what Jesus did to a lesser extent. And that's not something that comes natural. In fact, apart from Christ, we resent being asked to bear with someone's weakness, don't we? You know, one of the phrases that's common in, in my kids, and I think all kids, uh, when they discern something where one kid is treated one way and another kid is treated another, they'll say that phrase, you know it, that's not fair. I hear that a lot, and I really hear it out of my oldest child a lot because well, we do treat our kids differently because their ages are different. And so maybe at dinner time, we expect Emily to eat more than Luke before they can have dessert. 
because Luke is younger, he doesn't eat as much, or, or maybe they're picking up their rooms and we expect, we expect Emily to pick hers up a little bit quicker than Luke, or, or to do hers with a lot less help than Luke. She'll say, well, that's not fair. I, I, I didn't get any help cleaning my room. And, and one of Michelle's favorite things to say in those moments is, is that, you know, Emily, being treated fairly is not the same as being treated the same. Fair does not mean the same. That's, that's not what it means. It means whatever that person needs, getting treated that way. And, and these are things that Shell and I, for, for Luke, the things that he needs help with, we bear with those and, and his weakness as a four-year-old child. And we also have to bear with the weakness of our older child that doesn't understand that. And sometimes as Christians, we forget what it's like to be weak in some areas, don't we? We look at other believers and... Maybe they make bad financial decisions and they just can't seem to get their act together. And those of us that try to be responsible, it's hard not to look down our nose and say, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just get your act together? You should know better. Maybe we look at other believers that have addictions and say, you know, that's, you need to be beyond that. You need to quit struggling with that. You've had this for, for years. You need to get over it. A few years ago, I watched our ladies really, really bear with the weakness the, the weaker faith of, of another young lady. We were having a ladies' conference here, and, and uh, she had come, and, and I don't remember exactly what they were doing. It was some, something that involved some movement. And, and one of the ladies made this comment, man, I'm getting really, really tired, you know, moving around and doing what the speaker has us doing. And, and this young girl replied, yeah, I'm exerting a lot of energy. I just feel like I'm at work. And, and someone wanting to get to know her asked, well, what do you do? What is your job? And she responded, I'm a pole dancer. And in, in, in a lot of church settings, that would have been enough to have her shunned. It would have been enough to have her, to have plenty of gossip started about her. But I watched as, as our ladies in our church loved her and, and loved her family. And they've moved to a different place now. And a lot of you know who I'm talking about. I don't want to say who they are. But, but I watched as we loved those folks who were quite obviously weaker in their faith. And that's hard sometimes to do. And sometimes it's exasperating to do. But it's what the strong are called to do. To bear with one another. To bear with the weak. Because the point of that is not just to deal with it. Here's the next point. Is, is, is you bear with their weaknesses so you can build them up. Paul says. Eventually to overcome those weaknesses. Those weaknesses in their faith. Do you, do you remember, what is your first memory? Maybe as a child, of, of the first time you were ever insulted in some way. you remember that? I think probably most of us do. Probably sticks with us at some point. The first, maybe not the very first time, but the first time you can remember clearly like, man, that really stuck with me. I was, I, I was my first day of kindergarten. And, and I remember walking into Hatton Elementary, holding my grandmother's hand and just being terrified. That's where Luke gets his shyness, I guess, because we're alike in those ways. I was just terrified. I was scared for my first day of school. And I, I remember uh, being bribed by the teacher that if I let go of my grandmother's hand and I walked in, she would let me operate the projector when we watched a slideshow. And she either forgot or she was lying because I never got to do that. But then I remember sitting down after I got coaxed to go in there and, and you know, I was in a strange environment and I, and I sat across from this kid and, uh, you know, I didn't know who he was, he didn't know who I was and, and, and I told him my name, you know, trying to make friends, trying to reach out and, and, and he looks at me and he says, huh, Matt, that's a good name for you, Rhymes with fat and that's what you are. 
That's the first time I'd ever been told that in my life. Truth was, I was probably a chunky little kindergarten, kindergartner, but no one had ever told me that. And, and it was the truth, but, but you know, that, chances are, if you have a weakness, you know what it is. If we have weaknesses, the, the world has ways of letting us know what it is, whether it is through a mean kid at school or whether our own failings through the years, we, we know what they are. And so Paul tells us to bear with the weaknesses of our neighbors, not so they can continue living in oblivion, not knowing what they are, because they probably know what they are, and not so they can be excused, but so that they, we can bear them up. We can, each of us, he says in verse 2, should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. To overcome those weaknesses. To deal with those weaknesses. And you have to understand, Paul's speaking out of his own experience as, as a believer. You remember in 2 Corinthians, he talks about his own thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that was, but he pleaded with God three times. Please take this away, remember? And, and, and God never did. And, and Paul was able to say, in Christ, in Christ, what I have in him is greater than anything else that's good about me. He identifies himself through that, not because of his weakness. And you might say that's a pretty selfless thing to do, Matt, to, to bear with someone's weakness, especially if it's something that's just glaring, and, and it is. And it may take everything that you have not to say to someone, hey, you are kind of big. You may, maybe you should exercise. You thought about that? Trust me, if someone's big, they know that they're big. They know they need to exercise. That We, we know that, okay? Maybe, maybe everything you have not to, to say to someone, you, you know, you're just a, an annoyingly picky person. They probably know that they're picky. Or, or you are just horribly pessimistic. Well, whatever it might be. It's an act of self-denial. Not to point out those things, but to point someone above those things and beyond those things, Paul says. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. But as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Paul calls us to do the same as we point our neighbors to how they can be defined by God instead of their weaknesses. And that's not the same as just telling people what, whatever it is we think they might need to hear. That's not what I'm saying. It's not the same as, as being a people pleaser or pleasing someone just to make them feel happy. I think maybe one way to think about doing it, how we can contextualize it for us, is to go back to that memory of the first time you were ever insulted, whatever it might have been. And probably, like there was for me, there was a kernel of truth to that, whether it was about your personality or about your size or, or about something about your family. There was probably something true about that. But insults don't build us up, do they? No matter how true they are and how, how, how maybe we probably should pay attention to part of it, they, they don't push us beyond those things. You can go back to that moment and think, what could that, have person, what could that person might have said that, that instead of, of making me feel down and, and drawn, drawn inward and upset, what could that person have said that would have pushed me beyond that weakness? I mean, I don't know what it might be for you. But I think that's a good starting point as we deal with the weaknesses of others to say, what is it that we can say that, that doesn't just make them feel bad for their weaknesses, but that can push them beyond those weaknesses? And then in all the encouraging, I think it's important, lastly, to remember that you can't neglect who you are. You can't neglect yourself. Encouraging your neighbor is, it involves doing those things for others. But, but lastly, relying on God, not your neighbor, has to be your source of encouragement. It's not a reciprocal thing. 
as a believer. We get our encouragement from the Lord, and so we can give it to others. But we don't look to those others, especially those that are weakness, that, that are weak, to feed that back into us. I read a story that was in October of last year about a judge in Hawaii that ordered a man to write a dozen compliments or, or, or to write several compliments to his ex-girlfriend due to the fact that he had violated this protection order. He had, was someone that had just been, been bothering her and texting her, and so uh, she got this protection order against him to, to keep him. The, the, he wasn't even supposed to contact her at all. Well, he did, and uh, one, it says one night, uh, his ex-girlfriend, he contacted his ex-girlfriend 144 times. He texted her that many times between 839 and 1110. That's what the police report said. And so the judge told him that, that his punishment would be to write 144 compliments to her and give those to her. And, and I don't know if he did. I don't know how that turned out. But how sincere do you think she received those compliments? I mean, it was probably a task. And I get the point of what the judge was trying to do and what he was trying to teach. But do you think she really thought, oh, he, he really thinks all these good things about me? No, those things were, were forced. And, and I think it's just as silly of us to think that, well, if we, if we bear with someone else when they're struggling, well, they're going to turn around and do this for us because they may not. And especially if they feel obligated to. It's, it's, that's not what we're supposed to get out of it. Verse 4, Paul tells us where our encouragement should come from. He says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, talking about Scripture, so that through the endurance taught in Scriptures, <clears throat> taught in the Scriptures, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. He's saying that the point of the whole entire Bible was to point us to, to, to what it is that keeps us from giving up, to ultimately to point us to Christ, is what we know, right? And it's because of that that we can have hope and not give up and, and ultimately point our neighbors to something else. Now, we've been focusing throughout this whole series and this morning on, on feeding into and encouraging neighbors. And, and for some of you, though, maybe, maybe God is not your source of encouragement right now. Maybe he used to be or maybe he's never been. I, I don't really know. But you can't be an encouragement to a neighbor if, if God is not your source of encouragement right now. And I don't know where you're at with your walk with God. Maybe, maybe you look at the Bible and what this verse says about the Bible, how everything was written to, to encourage us and lift it up, lift us up. And you say, well, some days I read things and that doesn't seem very encouraging to me. And I will admit there are difficult passages in the Bible. But I do know what Scripture says about Christ, that he is the image of God in the flesh. And, and I love what Paul says at the end. This is sort of his prayer. He says, may the God who gives endurance and, and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. He says it's it's, it is possible through Christ to mirror that. But maybe you're not there yet. Uh, maybe, maybe you used to be, but you're not, or, or maybe you're just not sure. If you try and, and encourage someone else in, in the way this passage is saying, and, and your encouragement isn't coming from Christ, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get angry, uh, you're going to get cynical, and so don't, don't do that. You might need to spend time on yourself first. And I wish I could tell you exactly, exactly a, a little plan to move you from, from having where you're at to having more confidence in God and how He can encourage you and, and, and be the source of all that you need. I don't have a plan for that. But I do hope, 
I do hope that within our church, within our fellowship, maybe within a Sunday school class, within a Bible study, that, that you feel like that's a good place to do that. I feel like this is a church that's good at, at walking alongside of people who, who are struggling. And, and if that's you, I just hope you can have confidence in us and in, in your church, in this church, to be that for you. Maybe as, as a student, when I first came to Christ, the thing that, that led me to put more and more encouragement in Christ was not things that just a preacher said or a Sunday school teacher taught. But as I looked at other Christians and, and I saw that that was real for them. And so if you can look at other Christians and other believers and latch on to them and say, hey, this person has something that's real that I need in my life. Maybe that is the easiest way or, or the, 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 the most beneficial way for you to do that. And then others of you, uh, you know Christ is there. You know that he gives us strength, at least in theory, right? But it's hard to apply that to our relationships with others. Think about the way that if you're a parent or a grandparent, that you give care uh, to those children. You don't do it just because you have to. You don't do it just because, well, there's no one else to do it. I mean, that maybe those are part of the reason. But you also do it because you have this relational connection. Don't you? You do it because of who you are to them as a mother, as a father, as an aunt or an uncle or, or whatever, a caregiver. You do that because of that connection. And that's what Paul is saying, that, that Christ wants to be to us. He, he wants to be someone that encourages us and lifts us up because we, we are his. We belong to him. So when you let God be God to you, Paul says you can be God in a sense to others. That's what he challenges us to do. And that's, that's my challenge for myself and for all of us today. Let's pray together. God, so many times we, we operate outside of your grace. We, we try and help others maybe just because we feel guilty or, or just because maybe we think the pastor would want us to do that or that's just the Christian thing to do. And God, when we slip into that way of operating, we... We're just bound to fail. We're bound to mess up. We're bound to get frustrated and upset. And so this morning, would you remind us that our, our center grounding is in you. And, and that really should be the thing that gives us strength and power to do everything that we do. Forgive us as we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of that. Lord, if there are folks here that, that do not have the encouragement that can come from being a believer. I pray that they would, they would receive that today or at least, at least begin a journey where they can learn more about that and become more open to that. Would your Holy Spirit begin working today in their lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.